Anybody want more of the Lord? We want everything, God, that you have for us. God, pour out your spirit upon hungry hearts and hungry lives today, oh God. We love you. We love you. God bless you this morning. I'm going to let you be seated. And as you're being seated today, I want you to reach for your Bibles this morning, please, if you don't mind. Again, thank you, Brad and Jesse, for helping us today and leading us into the presence of the Lord this morning. I told you last week I started a series a couple weeks ago entitled One Nation Under God. My intention was to finish that series up last week, uh, but if you will permit me this morning, I want to preach one last message in that series, One Nation Under God. So I'm going to ask you to go to two different passages of Scripture this morning. First of all, I want you to go to 2 Timothy. Well, first of all, go to Psalm 46. Go to Psalm 46 and put your finger there. Psalm 46, put your finger there and just mark that place. And once you find that, flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can cheat off of your neighbor. And if you don't want to cheat off of your neighbor, you can look at the screen behind me and you'll be able to follow along. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, I'll read that one first, then we'll go to Psalm 46. If you found it, somebody say amen. Okay, five of you got it. Good. Glad to hear that this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this to his young protege, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Paul wants Timothy to understand and to grasp and to comprehend the fact that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Now flip over to Psalm 46. And I'm going to read those 11 verses in that chapter. The Bible records these words. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling selah. Verse 4, There is a river, whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Verse 6 says, The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us, The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. 
He burns the chariot in the fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In verse 11, the writer concludes by saying this, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And there that little word is again, Selah. I'm not going to preach on Selah, but you realize that Selah is a, it's a pause. It, it's, it's, it's a musical term. And there's a when there's notes that are being played or a song that's being sung, there's a selah, it's a pause so that we can comprehend and we can ponder and think about what we have sung, what has been played. So the writer not once, not twice, but three times says selah, pause, and know what you've seen and know what you've heard. I want to take a few moments this morning, if the Lord will help me, and I really do want to, and I will tie this little series up, One Nation Under God, today with this message entitled, A Powerful Faith for Perilous Times. Father, bless the reading of the Word of God this morning. God, touch our hearts today to receive your Word. And God, I pray somebody will be encouraged and strengthened and blessed this morning. We love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. Amen. God bless you, Brother Mike. Thank you this morning for your help. When Paul writes to young Timothy and says to him that he needs to know and understand that in the last days that perilous times will come, what exactly was Paul talking about when he said perilous? The word perilous carries a number of different meanings, but Paul was really saying to Timothy that there are dangerous and difficult days that lie ahead of us. He was saying to Timothy that there are stressful times. That word perilous literally means times of stress that are coming. As you dig deeper into the meaning of that word, it, it, it carries the, the meaning of, of, a, of, of a chasm or gulf or vacancy. So really what that scripture means is that there are going to be dangerous and difficult and stressful times that are going to come. And as a result of those times, it is going to create this vacancy, this void, this vacuum in the heart of mankind. And because of that vacancy that man will sense and feel because of the stressful times, he will resort to things that Paul listed in those verses that follow the one that said there'll be perilous times. And Paul said as a result of stressful times that will create that vacuum in the heart of man, he will resort to being unloving and unforgiving. And they, man will become a slanderer. He'll be without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, having a, a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Stressful times will cause men and women to do some very strange and desperate things. I believe it's safe for me to say today and to tell you that we are living in perilous times in this world right now. I believe it's safe for me today to say to you that these are stressful times that we are facing in our world today. And not just on a national scale or a worldwide scale. There are some of you this morning that are sitting here that you are facing some difficult seasons of your life. You're facing some stressful times right now 
in your life. Once again this week, we watched with heavy hearts as a very deranged and sick man stood up in a movie theater in Lafayette, Louisiana, opened fire, killed two innocent victims, turned the gun on himself. That's a reminder to us that we are living in perilous times. The moral crisis that we're facing in this country with the same-sex marriage is a reminder to us that we are living in perilous times. The brutality of ISIS and the thousands of lives that they have murdered is a reminder to us that we are living in perilous times. Racial tension and racism that is abounding in this country is a reminder to us that we are living in perilous times. Hatred and violence in the workplace is a reminder to us that we are indeed living in dangerous and difficult and stressful times. I read recently that the school board in Fairfax County, Virginia, recently voted 10 to 2 in favor of adding gender identity and sexual orientation to their family life curriculum, which now means that 7th grade through 12th grade will not only be taught about heterosexual, but they'll be taught about homosexual, bisexual, and transgender identity and relations. That is a reminder to me that we are living in perilous times. And I also read and found out recently that beginning in kindergarten in that same county, that our little five-year-old boys and girls will be introduced to same-sex marriage. That is a reminder to me that we are indeed living in perilous times. Do you realize that since the 1973 Supreme, Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade that legalized abortion in this country, that 57 million babies have been aborted since 1973? That is a reminder to me that we are indeed living in troublesome, perilous, stressful, dangerous, and difficult times. And one would be tempted to look at everything that is happening around us and to give in to fear and to lose hope. Some have maybe even wondered recently, what is the answer to all of this? What are we supposed to do while things continue to deteriorate? I am convinced that an unmoving, unshakable, unwavering faith in God will sustain us during the most difficult hours of our lives. And what kind of faith is it, Pastor? It is a confident expectation and hope that God will take care of His children regardless of what's going on around us. It is a faith that will give us a sense of peace in the midst of troubling times. And when I look into Psalm 46 and I read that chapter. It is a wonderful portrait of a powerful faith in the midst of perilous times and why scholars are uncertain and why scholars are unsure of exactly what is happening, what is going on when this, when this, when this chapter is penned. One thing is for certain when, when you read this, you understand that there is chaos that is happening. There is devastation that is abounding. Things are unsettled. Things are uncertain. 
And the writer opens up and he says some very powerful words to start out this text. He says that God is. I'm glad today that whatever you need God to be, God can be that. God is. And this particular chapter of Psalm 46 is divided into three different sections. And each section reveals to us exactly who God is, Brother Turpin, and exactly what God can do. But it also teaches us and reveals to us that we must put our faith in who God is and what God is able to do in our lives in the midst of times that are uncertain, in the midst of times that are stressful, in the midst of times that are dangerous. We are living in perilous times, but there is a powerful faith in God that will sustain us during this hour. There is a powerful faith in God that will sustain you during your darkest hour that you are facing. God is. I'm glad today that God is. If you're glad about that, why don't you give the Lord praise this morning? So let me take just a moment and take you into Psalm 46. And we have to trust the fact today and have faith in the fact that God, first of all, is a refuge. Everybody say a refuge. That means that God is our hope. That means that God is our shelter. That means that God is the one that we flee to when we need protection. What kind of refuge is he, pastor? God is a powerful refuge. God is, the writer said, our refuge and our strength. That means that God, I'm going to I'm going to break some words down. I'm going to teach you teach you a little bit this morning if you don't if you don't mind. That means that God is out. That means that God prevails. That means that whatever you're facing, God is bigger than anything that you are facing. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 18 and 2. God is my rock. God is my fortress. God is my shield. He is the strength of my life. My God in whom I will trust. I like what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 9 and 9. God will be a refuge for the oppressed and a refuge in times of trouble. I like what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18 and 10 when he said that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. It's interesting to me That the writer would tell us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Well, pastor, when I think of the name of the Lord, I think of Lord, I think of God, I think of Jehovah. Well, I want you to understand something. There are seven Hebrew names for God in the scripture that reveals to us exactly who God is and exactly what God can do. There is one place in scripture in the book of Genesis that God is called Jehovah Jireh. He is indeed our provider. There's another place in scripture that he is he is described as Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. He's the banner we go out under when we are facing something that is bigger than us. There's a place in scripture where God is described as Jehovah Raha, the Lord, our shepherd, who leads us and who guides us. There's another place in scripture where God is described as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is our healer. There's another place in scripture where God is described 
described as Jehovah Shalom, who is the Prince of Peace. There's another place in Scripture where he's described as Jehovah Shammah, the God who is present. And that final Hebrew name is found in the Word of God that calls him Jehovah Sidkenu, who indeed is the Lord, our righteousness. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that the name of the Lord, if you need provision, if you need guidance, if you need peace, if you need the presence of the Lord, whatever you need, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. You can run into the arms of God and find everything that you need. God is our refuge today. And regardless of what you're facing and regardless of what you're going through and regardless of what things look like in this nation right now, God is our refuge. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. God is our refuge today. He is a powerful refuge that we can lean on. If you're glad about that, somebody say amen this morning not only is he a powerful refuge but the writer reveals to us that he is a present refuge notice what he said God is our refuge and strength he didn't say a present help he said a very present help in time of trouble that word there very means that God is abundantly available to help us in our time of need. If you break that verse down in its purest form, in its clearest context, it means that God is found or God has been found or proved himself to be help in time of trouble. So when you read it with that understanding, you realize that it speaks to us of the faithfulness of God. God is found. That is present. God has been found. That is past. And I'm glad that I can even look into the future and I can know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he divided the Red Sea and allowed Moses to take people across, that means that God will be faithful to us. If God stepped into a fire furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That means that God will be with us in the midst of every storm we find ourselves in. If he went down into a lion's den as Daniel sat down there, that just reminds me that the same God that was faithful back then is the same God who will be faithful today. If he was good to your mama and your daddy, that means he's going to be good to us. If he was good to your grandma and grandpa, that means that he's going to be good to us. If he was good to this church way back when, that means that God's going to be good to us. God is a very present help in time of trouble. If he did it back then, he can still do it today. If he opened blinded eyes back then, he can still open blinded eyes today. If he made the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the dumb to talk, I'm telling you, that's the same God we are serving today. I know things are shifting. I know things are changing. I know things are in disarray. But I'm telling you, when I got up this morning, God was still seated on his throne. God has always been faithful. God will always be faithful. I'm glad he's a present help in time of trouble. If you're glad about that today, praise the Lord. Watch this. He's a very present help 
In time of what? Everybody say trouble. There are going to be times that you face trouble in your life. Anybody ever faced trouble before? Anybody facing trouble right now? Come on, it's all right. You understand what it means to be in the midst of trouble. Listen, our nation, our world, we're in the midst of some troubling times, Brother Turpin. Things are rough right now. Things are strenuous at best. Things are unsettled. Listen, it causes me to be a little bit fearful and concerned about what the future holds. And there are times that we're going to face trouble, but in this context, that word trouble, it speaks of distress. It speaks of a narrow place. It speaks of a crowded place. It speaks of a tight place. And I want you to know that God is the God of your tight places. Because there are going to be times in your life when you feel like you are wedged in and you are hemmed in. You can't turn to the right. You can't turn to the left. You can't take a step back and it seems like you can't take a step forward. But in those tight places, God, I feel the Holy Ghost on a Sunday morning. In those tight places when you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do, you don't know what step to take next, there is a promise contained in Psalm 46 that God will be present in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your circumstances. I want somebody to know today, no matter what you're facing, God is a God of the tight places. It doesn't matter what Hollywood tells us. It doesn't matter what the White House tells us. I don't care what CNN News and Fox is reporting. God is the God of every single thing and of every single one. And He is a present refuge that is there to help us in time of trouble. Here's the second thing we got to trust. Not only is God our refuge, but God is a river. Everybody say a river. Look down at Psalm 46 if you've still got your Bibles open. And the writer says this, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed. That sounds a little bit unsettling, doesn't it? And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That sounds a little bit unsettling, doesn't it? And though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, that sounds like perilous times to me. But then all of a sudden, after the writer talks about desolation, and he talks about chaos, and he talks about mountains moving and the earth falling apart, all of a sudden he transitions. And he says, but there is a river. Not only is it a river that soothes, but listen, it is a satisfying river. And here's what I believe the writer is referring to when he writes, there is a river. I believe that he is talking about the presence of the Lord. Because everything that we need is found in the very presence of God. Satisfaction is found only in the presence of God. That's why the psalmist would write in Psalm 16 and 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand 
there are pleasures forevermore. If you search through the scripture, you will see that water and rivers are symbolic of the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 9 that out of our belly there would flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit. If you go over to the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, the prophet writes this as the Lord is speaking through him. I will pour water upon him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out upon your descendants and my blessing upon your offspring. When Jesus sat down at a well in John chapter 4 and he told that lady, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But I have living water that I can give to you. You will never thirst again. And whoever drinks of that water, it will become in him a fountain of water that is springing up into everlasting life. Listen, you cannot find true satisfaction outside of the presence of God himself. And I believe when the writer says there is a river, he says to us there in the midst of perilous times, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, the presence of God will satisfy our souls. It will sustain us. It will take care of us. Can I come down here and preach for a minute? There is something to be said about the presence of God. Ask David when he said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's something to be said about his presence in Isaiah 43 and 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with thee. When you walk through the fire, the flame will not kindle upon you, neither shall you be burned. There's something to be said about the presence of God. When Isaiah said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. There is satisfaction that can only be found in the presence of God. <clears throat> is this all right? That's too bad. I don't have anything else if it's not. He's a satisfying river. Brother Gene, he is also a sufficient river. Because watch what the writer says. There is a river whose streams. Let me slow down teaching that. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The streams that the writer refers to there speaks to us of the source that God is. Everything we need comes from the hand of God. Sufficiency can only be found in God. Well, pastor, I got a 40-hour-a-week job, and I get a paycheck every single week, so they are my sufficiency. Who do you think gave you that job so you can get a paycheck every single week? God is our sufficiency. 
And the writer said, not only is there a river, the presence of God, but from the presence of God, there flows every single thing that we need. That's why Paul would write to the church at Philippi and say, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory, which is by and through Christ Jesus. I like what David said in Psalm 37 and 25. I have been young and yet I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Every single need that you have, God can and will supply. He is our sufficiency. And that means that the stock market can go belly up and crash tomorrow, and we're going to be okay. Are you in the building today? That means every bank could close up and shut down and go under, and we're going to be okay. Because our source and our sufficiency is not of this world or in this world, but it is found in him. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So whatever you need, God can and will supply. If you need joy, God says, I have joy. If you need love, God says, I have love. If you need peace, God says, I have peace. If you need hope, God says, I have hope. He is the all-sufficient God that has has every single thing that you need. If you're glad about that today, come on and praise the Lord. (laughs) Sometimes we get a little confused. And we think that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and said, my God, I supply all of your wants. I'm not getting any help in here on the Sunday. (laughs) He didn't say he'll supply all of your wants. So he'll supply all of your need. Because there's some things you want you don't need. Maybe I can get some help back here in the corner. And Brother Mike, there's some things we want we don't really need. And there's some things you think you want that you don't really need. And if you're not careful, you'll get what you want. You won't want what you got. And the Bible didn't say God will supply all of your needs. It's singular. It says, my God shall supply all of your need. You know what that means? God will give you what you need when you need it. I like what the writer of Deuteronomy 33 and 25 said. As your days are, so shall your strength be. That means that whatever that God's, God's strength will be sufficient for whatever day that you find yourself in, whatever you're facing. So whatever you need on Monday, God will take care of you on Monday. What you need on Thursday, God won't give you on a Tuesday. But as your days are, so shall your strength be. Whatever you have need of, God will supply that need. So we have to trust that God is a refuge. God is a powerful refuge. God's a present refuge. We've got to trust the fact that God is a river. He's a satisfying river. He's a sufficient river. And I'm going to close with this point. We've got to trust the fact that God is rest. God is rest. Let me read this to you. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. Watch this. Who has made desolations in the earth. That word desolations there is powerful. It means to devastate. It means to, to stun. It means to 
be in astonishment or to be amazed. He says, he says in the midst of, of, of this world, in the midst of this time, he says there are desolations in the earth. There's devastation. There are things that we that, that, that the writer has stepped back and he's been stunned to see what has happened. Are we not living in those times right now? That there are there are desolations. And every time we turn on the news, we're stunned and amazed at what we see. And the writer goes on, and this is, this is what he says. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. That sounds like some pretty serious stuff that's been going on. But in the midst of that, Pastor, you're telling me that we can trust the fact that there is rest and God, somebody come to the, come to the uh, instruments for me, please. <clears throat> Let me land this thing. There, Pastor, there's, there's rest, desolations, wars. And Pastor, there's, there's rest. We can trust that God is rest. It's unnatural, isn't it? It doesn't make sense to talk about rest in the midst of Devastations and wars. But the secret is found in verse 10. Where the writer says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. That word be still there means to, to cease. To stop, to slacken, to let alone. Really, what it is, it's the writer saying, be still, and it's the, can I, if I can use the old preacher adage, let go and let, let go and let. Unnatural. It doesn't make sense to talk about rest when the writer has just talked about desolation and wars. And in the preceding verses, mountains shaking and trembling, the earth being removed. How do you have rest? How do you have rest in your life when everything seems to have been turned upside down in just a moment of time? How do you have rest? When you're facing things that are bigger than you. How do you have rest when somebody slides divorce papers across the table and asks for you to sign them? How do you have rest when the doctor calls with bad news? How do you have rest when you've lost your job? The secret's found in verse 10. Brother Beckner, be still and know that I'm God. You can't really know and experience God until you learn to slow down and be still. And when you let go, that word still there means to cease, to stop. When you finally learn just to let go, that's when this thing we call peace comes. 
And not only is the rest unnatural, but it becomes indescribable because you realize that our finite minds cannot wrap themselves around and reason and understand and explain the peace that only God can give. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts, guard your minds. You study that word guard out? close. It's only 11.58, by the way, if you're looking at your watch. I'm closing before lunch. <clears throat> that word guard there, in one of its truest forms of the word, it speaks, speaks of an umpire. Have you ever been to softball or baseball games and there's an umpire, and the umpire, he determines and dictates the flow of the game, right? He calls balls, he calls strikes, sometimes they're bad calls, but he calls them nonetheless. He calls out, he calls safe, he calls foul. He makes the call. Now watch what Paul says. When we're anxious for nothing, anybody in here prone to worry ever? Anybody prone to lie ever? Confession's good for the soul. I mean, people looking around going. Let me ask again, anybody in here ever prone to worry every now and then? That's better. Lord, thank you. Forgive them. And Paul says, be anxious for, for what? Nothing. How many of that's easier said than done? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's what that means. Paul's really saying, don't worry about anything, but pray for everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Here's what's going to happen. In the peace of God, when you learn to let go and let God and you learn to be still, and the peace of God which passes understanding, there's a peace that God gives that you just you, you can't explain it, you can't understand it, you can't even begin to articulate it. The peace of God that passes understanding, it guards, it calls the shots, it becomes the umpire in your life. Does that make sense? It'll guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, John 14, 27. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I'll give you this last verse, and then we'll stand together and we'll pray. You know how we can, you know how we can have peace down here? You know how we can have peace in the present? Because we have a promise of the future. We can have peace down here. Because we have a promise of the future called eternity with God. And Jesus says this in John 4, 14. John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Here's why I've got peace down here because of the promise that I know that's coming. Jesus is preparing a place for me in eternity. And one day he is coming back to take me home and we will rule and reign and live with him forever. That's why we can be still and know that he's God. Come on and stand to your feet all over this building, please.